Thank you for tuning in to Voice Epilepsy Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Davidson. On Voice Epilepsy Podcast, we will discuss health and wellness, education, employment, lived experience, and all things epilepsy. Our presenter tonight is Dr. Chantel Harazdal, who completed medical school at the University of Alberta following which she moved to Vancouver to perform her adult neurology residence training at UBC. She then completed a fellowship in epilepsy at the University of Calgary before moving back to British Columbia as a UBC Division of Neurology Clinical Assistant Professor and an adult epitologist at the Vancouver General Hospital Epilepsy Program, where she has been a busy clinician since 2012. Uh, So we're very uh, grateful to have you take your time out of your day for us here. Okay, well, thank you very much for the opportunity to come and speak, Christine, and for the kind introduction. Um, so I'm Dr. Harastal, and I'm going to be giving a approximately hour or so uh, discussion here about uh, the current status with CBD and epilepsy, and uh, we'll look forward to answering your questions uh, at the end. So I have no disclosures and specifically I have no financial interests or relationships with pharmaceutical industry nor marijuana or CBD producers or distributors, uh, nor am I involved in any particular uh, CBD research myself, but I am an epilepsy specialist here in Vancouver and have uh, attended a lot of different educational seminars and get asked about this in my clinic pretty much uh, 10 times a day. So. Uh, The motivation behind this talk is that many patients, parents, and or care providers are certainly interested to know more about cannabis, given a lot of media hype, anecdotal reports of treatment success, and increasing medical literature, including the more recent legalization of marijuana in Canada. People may sense that marijuana is more natural of a product uh, than anti-seizure medications prescribed by their physicians and hence may prefer it. Many people smoke marijuana for other reasons, such as for recreational use. Uh, They may feel it helps with their anxiety or problems with sleeping, nausea, or pain, and so may then wonder if it could help their seizures as well. And there's certainly been some recent human studies of CBD in epilepsy that have been modestly encouraging, and uh, the medicine is now licensed for use in specific kinds of epilepsy, which we'll get into. So the main points for discussion, I'm going to start by reviewing some background information about marijuana and cannabis. We're going to talk about the reasons why cannabis could help to treat epilepsy. We're gonna discuss the human research that's been done so far regarding the use of cannabis to treat epilepsy, as well as the safety profile of uh, CBD. And then I'll highlight some of the current limitations and areas that require further investigation. So a little bit of background about cannabis. So cannabis has multiple uses. Cannabis genus uh, of flowering plants uh, are indigenous to Central and South America. And they've been used for millennia to make all sorts of different materials, including hemp fiber for rope, clothing, bowstrings, paper, um, seeds uh, and oil are used. Uh, It's also uh, can provide livestock feed, uh, may be used in religious ceremonies or uh, for its recreational or medicinal effects. 
Hemp is now uh, a worldwide crop uh, for cordage, construction materials, textiles, edibles, seeds, milk, and oil. Now, cannabinoids specifically are the subcomponent of the hemp. And so there are over 480 known compounds in the cannabis plant, and over 100 of those are different kinds of cannabinoids. So what's a cannabinoid? A cannabinoid is a chemical compound which acts on the cannabidiol receptor or the CB receptor in the body. So phytocannabinoids are found inside the cannabis plant. Endocannabinoids are produced naturally in the body of humans or animals. And synthetic cannabinoids are manufactured artificially, such as in a pharmaceutical lab. All of these compounds are acting on receptors in different parts of the body, including your brain and your nerve cells, your neurons, to try to communicate a message to those neurons. And this is how these compounds work. Now, there's all kinds of different plant-derived intoxicants out there, and marijuana or cannabis is one of many. So if you think about other examples of naturally occurring plants or products uh, that are subsequently modified in a way that humans use them for alternative uh, intoxicant purposes. You can think of examples like tobacco is used to make nicotine. The poppy and poppy seeds are used to make heroin or opium. Uh, coca plant is used to make cocaine. Uh, grains can be used to make beer or whiskey if allowed to ferment, just like grapes can be used to make wine and cannabis can be used to make marijuana. So just keep in mind uh, the semantics here. When we're talking about cannabis, we're talking about the plant um, and, and it can be used for all kinds of purposes, but the marijuana is uh, the way that humans are able to use this plant for uh, other purposes uh, as it pertains to ingesting or inhaling the substance to have an effect. There are two major neuroactive components of the cannabis plant, and these are uh, divided into the THC and the CBD component of the marijuana plant. So any given plant is going to have a mixture of the tetrahydrocannabidol as well as the cannabidiol. And the THC component is the more psychoactive component, which can make the person feel high if they're smoking marijuana, for example, or if they're eating a marijuana brownie, okay? The CBD component is a non-psychoactive component, which does not tend to cause a person to feel high or loopy or euphoric, um, but it is the more sedating component of the CBD, uh, sorry, of the cannabis uh, plant. Now, there's two main species of different cannabis out there. There's cannabis sativa, which has a higher THC to CBD ratio, and that's the one traditionally used in medical preparations. It has more psychoactive properties, but may have more benefit for things like pain. And then there's the cannabis indica. Indica, this strain, the leaf looks different. It has a higher CBD than THC ratio. This kind of uh, 
product is usually more sedating and uh, as we're going to discuss uh, is more desirable in terms of isolating CBD for uh, potential usage to treat seizures. Now cannabis has a long medicinal history. It's been around since two, 2700 years before Christ uh, in China and this is the symbol for CBD in fact. In medieval times, it was used by Islamic physicians, and in Western medicine, it's been used since the 1800s. Then it went for a period of hiatus where it wasn't really mentioned much in medical texts throughout the 17th and early 20th century. THC and CBD uh, structures were later elucidated uh, in 1963 to 4, and most research then focused on the THC component of the marijuana leaf for about 30 years. Focus has only more recently gone into the CBD in the last few years, and we'll talk about this further. So you can see there's all these different preparations of cannabis out there. Uh, you can intake cannabis by smoking it, by having uh, it vaporized. Uh, some people are using uh, uh, it as an edible or as an extract. And uh, the point being here that there's different ways to ingest the product, but the different ways of ingestion have different pharmacokinetics, different ways that they're absorbed, different concentrations, and different potential benefits and or side effects. Now, medicinal cannabis use has the best evidence currently in certain medical conditions, including painful HIV-associated nerve damage if it's smoked, Chronic pain is an indication uh, where nabilone has been studied, which is a synthetic uh, canna cannabis product. Chemo-induced nausea and vomiting in cancer patients, uh, there is an indication to use nabilone. Spasticity in multiple sclerosis patients has been uh, benefit benefited from what's called Sativex, which is a kind of a spray that is a mixture of both CBD and THC. And we also know that refractory seizures in certain severe epilepsies may also benefit from CBD specifically, which I'll uh, get into. So why might these cannabinoids be used to treat epilepsy? Now we know that the THC works different than the CBD. So I'm gonna start by talking about THC. So THC binds to cell membrane receptors, and these are those uh, cannabinoid uh, type 1 and type 2 or CB1 and CB2 receptors that I mentioned earlier. And we know that those receptors occur naturally in humans, either in the brain, if it's a CB1 receptor, or in the immune system and your hematopoietic or your blood cells. These are the different receptors you have. CB1 is a light blue, CB2 is a blue that's darker. And so the CB1 receptors in your brain are often inside the neurons in the brain. And then the CB2 receptors can be found in different organs of the body, especially your immune system and your uh, blood cells. Now we know that there's different kinds of substances that will activate these receptors. Remember, we make our own cannabinoids that our body will react to our own cannabinoids with these receptors. But if you take in exogenous THC from, say, smoking marijuana, that will activate these receptors in the human body. Now, what does that do when it, how does that work? Well, in the brain, we know that the CB1 receptors 
are found on inhibitory neurons in the brain, which, which cause a decrease in excitation and a decrease in, for example, seizure activity. And they're also found in excitatory neurons in the brain that cause more excitation and more seizures, for example. We know that when the CBD, or sorry, pardon, the THC rather, molecule binds to these presynaptic receptors, that leads to a decrease in the release of the neurotransmitter into the synapse of the neuron, and it leads to uh, impact on how those nerve cells communicate with each other and, and uh, send an electrical message. And so when THC binds and it decreases the release of inhibitory signals, then less inhibition means more excitation. And in fact, it seems like THC may be a pro-convulsant in, uh, in animal models. Whereas the mechanisms of CBD are different. CBD does not act on these CB1 or CB2 receptors. And that's probably why when you just take CBD by itself, it doesn't tend to have psychoactive properties or make you feel high or loopy. This uh, receptor, there, sorry, the CBD interacts with many different endocannabinoid signaling systems. So remember those endocannabinoids are what we naturally release in our body. And this drug is felt to have multiple targets. There's different mechanisms that are uh, hypothesized, including affecting how calcium is released intracellularly. As well, there may be anti-inflammatory effects of CBD, and it inhibits uh, Adenosine, which is an, a neurotransmitter um, that's an inhibitory one, and it inhibits the uptake of that neurotransmitter. So basically, again, by inhibiting inhibition, you can get some excitation. But in this case, it's inhibiting the reuptake of the transmitter. So it's basically keeping more inhibitory neurotransmitter in your synapse, which is a positive effect in terms of decreasing the likelihood of seizures. So CBD can enhance or diminish the effects of THC when the two are used together and vice versa. And this is complex. It's a whole, whole field. And I'm not a basic neuroscience expert in this, but I'm trying to just emphasize for you, if you take nothing else home, understand that there is very good basic science uh, neurophysiology evidence as to why the CBD compound works. Now, subsequent to uh, this background information being acquired, we've been doing preclinical animal models uh, looking at seizures and epilepsy. And over the years, you can see these are just some examples of different compounds that have been studied. And there are some sort of tetrahydro, the THC or the CBD compound or a version of it and different animals of different kinds of seizures. And you can see that this says efficacy. So yes is why and no is no. So a lot of these trials in animal models have showed that there's good rationale for the fact that CBD should help with seizures. There's a few trials though where it didn't help. And um, this is, however, the background research that led to subsequent studies in humans. So to summarize what I've said so far, remember that from the animal studies that we've got, we know that CBD is more of the good 
properties and it's an anti-convulsant type property in the marijuana leaf and we have over 20 animal models of epilepsy that have showed uh, no pro-convulsant properties meaning it does not cause seizures cbd okay whereas thc activates those cb1 receptors that i mentioned especially um, in the brain, and that actually acts as a pro-convulsant, or at least it lowers seizure threshold and makes seizures more likely to occur. So the THC is unlikely to yield therapeutic benefits in epilepsy. Now, I think you can appreciate that when lots of people use marijuana, they may just smoke the marijuana leaf ground up, or they may do an edible marijuana product where they're getting a mix of the THC and the CBD. So you can see how if you have the two compounds mixed together at different ratios, it makes uh, it very difficult to study this. And those early studies where people are just using mixed up mixtures of CBD and THC are very difficult to interpret because it's important to isolate out the different compounds and look at the ratios between the two. So uh, to briefly go into the pharmacology of the cannabidiol, there's different ways you can get the product, as we mentioned before. Sometimes this is inhaled, uh, aerosolized, or vaporized, and this can reach peak plasma concentrations in your blood in under 10 minutes. If you take the substance orally, it's best taken as an oil in order to best absorb into the GI tract, but it's quite variable absorption when you eat uh, the cannabidiol. And it's estimated that only 6% actually uh, is properly uh, available and bioavailable uh, after oral intake. That oil certainly helps, and that's why a lot of the CBD products are in fact oils, as we'll discuss. You could alternatively spray or use a lozenge in order to get the properties of the substance, and that's what Sativex spray is marketed as. It's used in patients with multiple sclerosis for spasticity. And there are also transdermal or skin patches, but these aren't practical because what happens is the product can accumulate in the skin and it's also quite uh, able to um, be stored in fat stores and that does not allow for reliable distribution of the medication. So because of that high fat solubility, it will rapidly distribute in the brain because the brain is in fact a bunch of fat cells, to be honest. Um, Beyond, well, around the neurons. Um, adipose tissue, uh, which means uh, fatty stores, if you um, have excess adipose tissue or in certain other organs as well. Now, people can have accumulation uh, of the product in their system over time, especially if they're overweight and have a lot of adipose tissue where the, the drug may stay stored. Now, the metabolism of the medication is uh, by the liver, and it's by uh, the cytochrome P450 enzyme system. This is the same system that metabolizes other medications that a lot of people take for varying other medical conditions, including anti-seizure medicines. And the half-life of the drug 
uh, is a, around 18 to 32 hours. So that means that it takes uh, from 18 to 32 hours for the uh, life of that drug, the concentration to drop by half compared to what it was at its uh, peak when initially uh, taken. So there's different physiologic effects that cannabis can have on your body. It can affect your eyes. People may get reddening or uh, there's sometimes decreased ocular pressures. People can get dry mouth. Uh, they may get uh, a sensation of heat or cold on their skin. They may get an increase in their heart rate or muscle relaxation. Those are expected physiologic effects of the cannabis. Now we've studied uh, the safety of cannabis in humans some time ago, even before the more recent trials. And we know from multiple short-term studies that CBD is well tolerated across a wide range of doses up to 1500 milligrams per day. Now, many patient years of exposure to nabeximols, which are the uh, oral kind of uh, sprays that are used for MS in Europe and Canada have also showed that this can be safe. There are theoretic risks that the CBD may lead to immunosuppression, because remember I told you that there's some of those CB receptors on immune cells, but this hasn't proven to be particularly prominent so far. Now, in terms of drug-drug interactions, we know that CBD inhibits certain enzymes. That means it decreases their function in the liver. And some of these anti-seizure drugs that people with epilepsy are taking are also substrates for those same enzymes. So for example, if you're taking clobazam, which is a common anti-seizure medicine, we know that if you start taking CBD at the same time, your liver enzymes are not going to metabolize your clobazam the same way as they used to. And you're going to have a doubling on average of your clobazam levels in your blood. So just as we've studied these compounds to understand that there is a medical rationale for their efficacy, we know that there are also medical rationales for drug interactions and of course for side effects. Sometimes people who take CBD will have their CBD metabolized by their seizure drugs that they're taking. And so, for example, if you're taking a, a carbamazepine, phenytoin, or strong enzyme-inducing seizure pills that affect the liver, then you may have your CBT, CBD metabolized more quickly and need to take more of it. Now, the human studies of cannabidiol and epilepsy were initially really, really poor. So back when I was training as a resident, uh, we had basically no data on the safety and efficacy of CBD and epilepsy. There was a Cochrane Review, which is the big medical body of Western uh, medicine that studies all the different evidence that's out there. And they did a review of all of the different studies of cannabinoids in people with epilepsy. And there were only four low quality studies looking at a total of only 48 patients. And this was in the year 2014 that they did this review. And they could come up with no reliable conclusions about the efficacy, that means how well it works, of the cannabinoids in the treatment of epilepsy. And they looked at doses anywhere from 200 to 300 milligrams per day of cannabidiol, and it seemed to be safe when it was administered in the small number of patients that it was. Um, but there were uh, no substantial 
conclusions that could be drawn. It seemed like it was probably safe, um, but essentially there was a huge lack of literature in the field. Now, despite the lack of literature in the field, there's been a storm of interest in marijuana and medical marijuana for the use of epilepsy ever since a CNN story called Charlotte's Web came out in 2014. And this was the story, as many of you may have heard, of a young girl who had an epileptic uh, encephalopathy with severe refractory seizures and developmental delay. She had what's called Dravet syndrome. And she had multiple seizure types ever since she was three months of age, including status epilepticus and uncontrolled seizures. And by the time she was five years old, she'd failed all the medicines that were available on the market. She tried a ketogenic diet, which is a high fat, low carbohydrate diet. And she was having significant delays in her uh, intelli intelligence, her cognitive development and her motor function. And she was having up to 50 seizures per day. So a very devastating story. And her mom had found a marijuana breeder who provided a sublingual, that means under the tongue extract of a high CBD strain oil. And this child went from having over 300 seizures per week to having an over 90% reduction in her big generalized tonic clonic seizures. And she had substantial improvement in her behaviors and her motor function after only a few months. And she had sustained benefit for over uh, a year and a half, almost two. And so this strain of marijuana was dubbed Charlotte's Web, and it led to a huge amount of media attention and public interest in considering using a sort of CBD oil in other kinds of epilepsies and in other contexts. We have to remember that um, there's a lot of hope that comes from stories like this, but it's important that we use this as a guide to then decide on how to design proper studies so that we can know if this substance is effective and who, who it's effective, what the side effects are, what doses are safe, etc. Nonetheless, um, there was a whole bunch interest in using the product uh, in the absence of medical evidence. And so, for example, there were uh, people reporting on surveys online on a Facebook page of uh, parents of 19 children uh, with treatment-resistant epilepsy using uh, marijuana products, and they reported up to uh, 84% response rates and 11% of reporter reported cases were seizure free. Um, there was a survey of 11 parents of children with treatment resistant epilepsy and CBD enriched cannabis and they reported 100% improvement in motor seizures um, and 73% complete or near complete seizure control. There were other surveys of people who smoked cannabis who reported 68% improved seizure control and 54% improved seizure frequency. And there were also uh, some surveys of people who smoked cannabis uh, with epilepsy and uh, only two actually reported improved seizures. Uh, seven people who used to smoke reported worsening of seizures. And so this started to show that there was a lot of variation in these self-reports. And this is very flawed information for people to work on because there's going to be all kinds of reporting bias. People are going to often uh, report the success stories and not necessarily 
uh, when things don't go well. And of course, we know it doesn't make any sense that 100% of, of uh, you know, 11 uh, children treated would have, you know, an improvement in their seizures from this product without teasing out other factors like, like placebo effect. And so we were able to subsequently do a little bit more of uh, proper uh, attempts at research uh, using uh, CBD in mostly in children with certain kinds of refractory epilepsies. But remember at this point, CBD is still not legal. It's an illegal substance and it does make it a real challenge to study this um, for obvious reasons. And so, this is a summary of the different CBD research that was initially done in humans with epilepsy. And these were relatively small trials. They overall showed a follow-up period of anywhere from three months to up to one year. And they looked at the change in seizure control as well as whether there were side effects. And most of the studies were showing no major side effects, although somnolence or drowsiness, as well as GI upset and stomach uh, upset or uh, problems with vomiting or diarrhea were starting to be noted. There was an open label trial, meaning that there was no control group, but they took 214 patients who were aged one to 30 who had severe epilepsy in childhood with over four motor seizures per week. And they were uh, put on a CBD product in addition to other seizure medicines. Usually they were on three or more other medicines, as well as a, maybe a vagal nerve stimulator or ketogenic diet. And 11 centers in the United States enrolled children in this trial and young adults. And what they did is they gave these people a purified CBD oil extract, which was 99% CBD and only 1% THC. And this was a constant composition. It's a, it's a plant-derived product, but it's purified in a lab. And it was given at a dose of two to five milligrams per kilogram per day, and it was up-titrated up to 25 to 50 milligrams per kilogram per day. Now, this is a substantially high dose. If you think about a 50 kilogram, uh, even a small woman at 50 kilograms, um, that's 2.5 grams of marijuana uh, of CBD a day. So you have to consider that uh, because when people are using it commercially, they're often using lower doses of CBD. In each case, they found adverse events in about 80% of these patients. Somnolence was prominent in one out of four, decreased appetite in one out of five, diarrhea in one out of five, fatigue in 13%, and more convulsions in 11%. Now, serious adverse events were rare, and they were noted in 12% of patients, and this could include status epilepticus or abnormal liver function tests. Now, Remember, there's no control group. We don't know what the rates of adverse events are in the people um, who are just having the same severe epilepsies and aren't being enrolled in this trial. And so it's not to say that it's the uh, compound, the cannabidiol, that's causing status epilepticus, but just to highlight that there, uh, there is a sick group of patients here that has very high risk for uh, poor seizure control. Now, 5% in the trial stopped the treatment because of the adverse effects, meaning the other 
patients stayed on it and were able to tolerate these adverse events, often in the form of drowsiness or decreased appetite. As you recognize, these are similar side effects that you may get with other uh, prescribed uh, anti-seizure medications. Now, the open-label trial extension shows that after three months, there was a median reduction of motor seizures by 36.5%. So about one out of every three patients had a reduction in their seizures, but there's no control group to compare to. People who were taking clobazam, which is an anti-seizure medicine commonly used in this population, had much more substantial seizure reduction, over 50% seizure reduction. But we've since learned that that's probably because the CBD increases clobazam levels in blood by twofold. So it's probable that some of the benefit of the CBD in these trials is because the CBD is interacting with other anti-seizure medicines and the doses of those medicines may go up. There were 7% of all participants who were free from motor seizures in the last four weeks of the study, and only 2% were free from all seizure types, okay? So if we go back, we're looking at a, whole, a total of 214 patients and we had 2% seizure free. And so we have to frame realistic expectations for what this substance might do for these very severe uh, children and young adults with uh, refractory epilepsy. But there is some promise that there's uh, evidence that there is some benefit here, but we need a control group to compare. We don't know what the outcomes would have been in people if they were taking a sugar pill. And other studies have showed that the sugar pill or placebo rates in this population are very high, up to 20% in children and 10 to 15% in adults. And there's also higher placebo rates expected because there's been so much enthusiasm and excitement and media hype. So it's important to control for these factors. And sure enough, eventually we've been able to do that. We were able to do a few other studies that I'm just gonna quickly go through to show you that there was another trial of CBD in about 50 patients with treatment-resistant epilepsy using the same Epidiolex product at a dose of 50 milligrams per kilogram. And these patients had a statistically significant benefit uh, with over 50% seizure reduction in 56% of adults. So that was another encouraging trial, but we don't have a control group to compare to. Tuberous sclerosis complex is another kind of group of patients with severe epilepsy. It's a genetic condition. And there was a study looking at 18 people over three months on that same dose of Epidiolex. And these people had their seizures reduced by about 50%. So things are looking encouraging. There's something called febrile infection-related epilepsy syndrome. This is in children who have new onset epilepsy with refractory, poorly controlled, severe seizures in status epilepticus. And there was obviously a publication bias to this paper, but it's children with this condition treated were in fact uh, able to have a substantial improvement with the use of CBD. So this is where we were at until changes with the legal status of cannabis in North America. And so as you may be aware, 
initially, a lot of the research and the excitement around CBD was in the United States in Colorado. And so over time, there are more and more states that are starting to legalize marijuana, but originally it was mostly Colorado. And with this Charlotte's Web media storm, she was in Colorado and that fueled a lot of political pressure to allow for medical uh, marijuana in different strains and forms. People were actually moving to be in Colorado where they could treat their children or uh, an adult with severe epilepsy with the marijuana products. And because of this unprecedented layperson driven movement, I think social media um, and technology internet has had a huge part to play in that. This has led to the medical uh, uh, use of marijuana in many states and its legalization, in fact, uh, even for recreational use. Uh, Trump, in fact, signed a bill in 2018 legalizing hemp and CBD purified products. Uh, this has to be under 0.3% THC. And so this kind of a CBD purified product is no longer a controlled substance as other drugs like narcotics would be, for example. Now, in recent years, over 40 countries have legalized the medicinal use of cannabis. In Canada, we used to have uh, cannabis legal for medicinal reasons. Initially, all CBD and marijuana products were forbidden and they were illegal substances. But over time, Canada has had different regulations, including the marijuana for med medical purposes regulations, and then the access to cannabis for medical purposes regulations. And these uh, predated the more recent changes uh, that the Liberal government uh, legalized marijuana in uh, the summer of 2018. But the way it used to be, people who had a physician indication to use cannabis for medical purposes could get cannabis from a producer that was licensed by Health Canada, or they could get a license to grow a certain small amount of cannabis for their own medical use. At that time, it was important to emphasize that dried marijuana was not being approved as a drug or medicine in Canada, but the government did not and they did not endorse its use, but the courts required that people who could benefit from it for medicinal reasons had reasonable legal ways to access it. So that was the stance up until June of 2018, when marijuana became legal for both medicinal but also recreational purposes in Canada. And thereafter, under BC's provincial cannabis laws, adults 19 or older are legally allowed to purchase cannabis from government-run stores or licensed private retailers, as well as British Columbia government-run online stores. And if you go to uh, the website, you can see there's a, a nice little uh, app that you can find your local British Columbia government-approved online marijuana store near you. And you can look that up. Uh, I just showed you for all of BC, but if you look in Vancouver, there's over two dozen of these uh, dispensaries that are just the British Columbia government run stores. Um, so there's a lot of options out there. Now, many different dispensaries produce and dispel and dis burst and sell the product in very many different forms. And you have to understand it's being dispersed and used for all sorts of different reasons including for recreational use, to help pain, to help sleep, to help nausea, um, 
and of course, in some cases, people are purchasing this uh, with the view to potentially help their epilepsy and seizure control. Now, up until just the last couple of years, we had no good evidence, as I was just telling you, that these uh, CBD products are effective in epilepsy um, with good randomized controlled trials. But we've had some recent improvement in our CBD research, and that does, I think, temporarily correlate with the uh, agent being more easy to access and more easy to study. So while there was little to no significant effects of cannabis in reducing seizures in those initial studies, remember we were mixing up CBD and THC and they weren't well-designed studies. They were low numbers of patients and uh, they weren't gonna give us the numbers we needed to show benefit. More recent studies have studied more than 100 patients in a population and they've showed that CBD can result in a significant reduction in seizure frequency. There are adverse effects of CBD, although overall these adverse effects seem to be pretty minor and benign. Some concerning effects like elevation in liver enzymes seem to improve if the CBD is reduced. In most of the trials, you have to keep in mind that CBD is added to other anti-epileptic medication. Therefore, we still have to learn whether CBD alone is an adequate anti-seizure medicine or if it rather potentiates the traditional anti-epileptic medications and works with them so that they offer a better effect. Future trials may evaluate how CBD works in treating seizures due to specific causes, for example, post-traumatic seizures or post-stroke seizures or certain genetic causes for seizures. But right now, it's been studied in uh, a few very specific severe epilepsy syndromes. The first randomized control trial was published in 2018, and it was looking at people who had Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which is a severe epilepsy of childhood associated with intellectual disability and multiple seizure types. More than one type of generalized seizure had to be occurring uh, for at least six months in order for people to be enrolled in this study, and they had to have at least two drop seizures per week. A lot of these patients will collapse and fall with their seizures. And so they were studying a very severe group of people. And people with Lennox-Gastaut syndrome tend not to have complete response to our conventional anti-seizure medicines, even when they take many drugs at a time. So this group of patients had already failed at least two anti-seizure medicines, and they looked at 171 patients, and they gave them 20 milligrams per kilogram of the CBD oil, this Epidiolex, or they got a sugar pill and they were blinded and their doctors were blinded and nobody knew which treatment they had. And we found that 44% of people with the CBD had a change from baseline in their monthly drop seizures, whereas 22% in the sugar pill group had a change. So when you compare the two, that means that there is a 22% difference or relative benefit to taking CBD compared to a sugar pill when you add it to your other seizure medicines and you have Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. Now, there were higher rates of adverse events in people taking CBD versus the sugar pill, but there's not a major difference. When you do the math, there's a 17% increase in side effects or adverse events in the CBD compared to placebo group. However, there were more serious advent, adverse events in the CBD group compared to the placebo or sugar pill group. 
with about a 20% um, difference. So of course, this is a drug and it's gonna have side effects, uh, no surprises here. But at least the side effects weren't fatal or highly concerning. Then there was a trial done in the New England Journal of Medicine. Now, this is the major medical journal period that everybody reads. And so this was a big pivotal trial in 2017 of 120 children aged two to 18 with refractory epilepsy and what's called Dravet syndrome, which is a different type of refractory epilepsy that tends not to respond to the seizure medicines and is due to a genetic sodium channel mutation. The children got the same dose of 20 milligrams per kilogram of CBD versus a sugar pill and they were treated for 14 weeks. And it was found that the CBD decreased convulsive seizures by about 20% compared to the placebo group. So the responder rate was defined as a 50% or greater decrease in generalized tonic-clonic seizures. So that means if you have 10 generalized tonic-clonic seizures a month, if you had five or fewer seizures a month, that would be considered a response. And there was a rate of 40 3% response in CBD versus 27% response in the sugar pill, showing a 16% difference. There were three patients, 5% that were seizure-free with the CBD, and nobody in the placebo group was, was seizure-free. So, you know, this can uh, get you thinking about uh, Charlotte's Web in that case, and I do think there are some patients who benefit uh, dramatically from, from the CBD. But the majority of patients uh, on this product do not achieve seizure freedom. The global impression of change improvement uh, as rated by caregivers was 62% in CBD versus 34% in placebo. And that includes things like the patient's alertness and mood and overall well-being. So there was an approximate 28% better uh, result with the CBD. However, 75% of people on CBD reported as adverse events. So this included sedation, diarrhea, vomiting, decreased appetite, fatigue, somnolence, we have to keep in mind that this study was sponsored by the industry that produces Epidiolex, and one of the involved physicians holds patents in the sale of this product. So that's a bit of a conflict of interest we have to keep in mind. But this is by far the best uh, quality uh, data that uh, we've had with CBD and epilepsy, and it shows strong rationale for uh, use of this agent in certain populations. Lastly, we've just had a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial of around 150 patients who were uh, having tuberous sclerosis complex and were treated with Epidiolex, same product. And they had significantly greater reduction in their seizures as well compared to the people who got the sugar pill. And that effect was seen at eight weeks and it was consistent throughout a four-month follow-up period. So all of this if you pool the studies, there's been a review of you take all the patients from the different studies and you put them together, we've got about 550 patients with Lennox-Gasteau and Dravet syndrome. And we've seen that there's about a 37% uh, significant change in seizure control, uh, improvement in seizure frequency in the CBD group compared to 21% in the placebo group. So this is a 16% difference. Okay, so if you have 100 patients, 16 will have, or uh, 
you know, that's a, approximately the benefit that we're looking at. It's not 100%. It's encouraging, but it's also uh, not the, the new miracle drug and cure for epilepsy in most of these cases. Uh, of course, the uh, side effects did lead to withdrawal uh, from the medication and continuing on the treatment in 11% of patients on the CBD versus 2.6 on the sugar pill. Although the other 89% of patients were able to tolerate and stay on the CBD for the trials that have been done so far. So here we are in the year 2020 and sure enough, we have cannabidiol on our list of all the different anti-seizure medicines that have been studied and are now licensed for use as anti-seizure drugs. And so there's old drugs, you'll see phenytoin carbamazepine around since the 1940s and 60s. And then over recent years, we're, we're discovering more and more medicines. You may see medicines in here that you're taking or that you uh, have taken before. And now cannabidiol is the new kid on the block. So Epidiolex is the trade name for the FDA, the US Food and Drug Administration approved drug uh, that's produced by the pharmaceutical industry as a purified CBD compound. 99% CBD, very low or trace THC components. It is a plant-derived product, but it's actually regulated and it's held to high standards, just like all the other anti-seizure medicines that we prescribe, so that people are getting the right amount of drug with every dose and it's well studied and it's been indicated as add-on treatment in Dravet syndrome, Lennox-Gastaut syndrome and tuberous sclerosis complex. When it was first approved in 2018, it was a controlled substance, but now that's changed and it's no longer a controlled substance and it can be prescribed without a triplicate pad or uh, without any red tape and it's completely legal anywhere in the United States. Epidiolex has not been approved by Health Canada yet, and this is not uncommon. Usually there's a delay of two to five years, if not a little longer, between when a drug is first available in the US and when it gets approved by Health Canada. So in summary, the most common side effects from CBD in an open label follow-up study, which I saw at the North American Epilepsy Congress, which I attended just this last weekend, you can see that they've followed some of these patients up for longer term three year follow up and the high dose CBD, the main side effect is drowsiness in about 20% of patients. Okay, but reduced ap appetite and diarrhea is also about one out of five. So you have to keep that in mind uh, that those would be the common side effects from this medication. You Now you say, okay, well, I don't live in the U.S., I live in Canada. So how is Epidiolex that's FDA approved different from commercial CBD oil, which I can get in Canada? So remember, Epidiolex is a pharmaceutical grade version of CBD oil. Now, uh, Epidiolex is prescribed by a doctor. It's approved by third-party insurers or provincial insurers and then it is dispensed like any other medication from your pharmacist. Whereas CBD oil is sold over the counter, either uh, or over the internet, I should say, um, from varying distributors, some of which are licensed and others uh, of which may not be. Now, there's a uniform strength and a consistent delivery providing reliability and stability of each dose of Epidiolex, whereas 
the commercial grade CBD products contain varying and often unverifiable amounts of CBD. So there's no real way to be sure that you're getting the same reliable dose from vendor to vendor or from batch to batch with the way that people are obtaining CBD in Canada at this time. That said, you have to keep in mind that for CBD oil not purchased in a medical cannabis dispensary, the lack of manufacturing safety oversight does mean that there's no way uh, th to be sure that other chemicals such as say pesticides are not being incorporated into these products. And so when you're weighing the risks and benefits of using a CBD oil here in Canada, you have to look at those benefits that I showed you approximately you know, 15 or up to 20% relative improvement in seizure control compared to sugar pill um, with the potential risks of having fluctuations in your dose or not being able to be uh, guaranteed that the product you're obtaining is safe and without other compounds. Now, if you go to the BC government or the uh, Canada, um, Health Canada approved uh, dispensaries. That means that they've got, they've undergone some oversight, and it's unlikely that you're getting you know pesticides or fentanyl mixed in, okay, with your uh, CBD product. But it's not held to the same standards and regulation that the pharmaceutical industry is in terms of being able to ensure that there's the same exact amount of milligrams in, in any given product that you obtain. And of course, the THC formulations carry very different risks than the CBD, which I've mostly been talking about. So the safety and the efficacy of THC either alone or in various ratios with CBD remains to be defined in people with epilepsy. THC has been associated with increased risks of psychosis, uh, which is uh, delusions, hallucinations, and schizophrenia in both teens and young adults. And marijuana use in pregnancy, for example, has been associated with increased risks of preterm labor and low birth weight. We don't know about the long-term negative cognitive effects of marijuana in children born to mothers and even fathers who have been using marijuana in the year prior to conception and during pregnancy. And so we have to keep in mind that while these substances like smoking marijuana or using a marijuana leaf or using a marijuana product that's been made up into an oil might seem like a natural and safe and easy uh, low risk option. You have to be aware that there are risks, especially with the THC that haven't been well studied yet. And of course, smoking marijuana may one day be looked back at like smoking tobacco. Who knows? It takes decades of follow-up before we start to learn about some of these potential longer-term effects, uh, not only on uh, the, the person uh, taking the medication, but also uh, a fetus if uh, planning a pregnancy or uh, even uh, preconception. Cautions regarding medical cannabis is that 
If you're using medical cannabis as a person with epilepsy, please inform your physician that you're doing so. This should be something that you're comfortable to discuss in open dialogue. And this is because there is a high chance of drug-drug interactions. And if your specialist is making adjustments to your seizure medicines and you're also adjusting your marijuana at the same time, you can imagine how that uh, generates difficulties in establishing the cause of an improvement or uh, a decline in seizure control or side effects. I would warn you that I have undoubtedly seen marijuana withdrawal seizures. I see a lot of people who smoke marijuana and they have to come into hospital for varying reasons, including maybe they're having bad seizures. And when they come into hospital, they can't smoke marijuana anymore. And this is definitely an entity, just like people can get alcohol withdrawal seizures, I've seen marijuana withdrawal seizures. And I think this has yet to be well described in the literature, but I'd caution you that if you are using marijuana in any form, that it isn't something you should just stop cold turkey because there is a potential risk for withdrawal seizures, just like our anti-seizure medicines. And it would be advisable that you do some sort of a wean. Recent study results cannot be extrapolated to people who have milder forms of epilepsy or to people who are taking marijuana or CBD as an isolated product, um, uh, sorry, who are taking it as a mix with THC and not as an isolated product, I should say. Um, people who are otherwise not taking other anti-seizure medicines and using marijuana alone, we don't yet know if that's effective as a form of anti-seizure drug. And so that carries significant implications uh, with things like driving and whatnot. If you are having a known diagnosis of epilepsy and you choose not to use conventional anti-seizure medicines, we don't yet have uh, the data we need to show that marijuana would be a substitute to conventional medications uh, and be equally efficacious. So in summary, what do we know about cannabidiol in epilepsy? I've talked your ear off for nearly an hour and here are my take home messages. What we do know is that the brain has these CBD1 receptors where the THC acts. What we don't know is the exact mechanism of action of CBD. We think there are multiple mechanisms, but it's yet to be fully elucidated. What we do know is that purified CBD is a compound with promise in epilepsy, and which has in fact showed some specific indications for use. However, we don't know the effects of CBD in combination with THC, such as if you're smoking a marijuana leaf or taking an edible or a compound that's mixed. CBD has been associated with modest short-term improvement in seizure control in the trials that have been done so far. We don't yet know the longer lasting effects of CBD on seizure control. Those with severe refractory epilepsies like Drave or Lennox-Gastaut may derive benefit from add-on CBD to their other medications. What we don't know is whether there's any benefit of the CBD as a monotherapy by itself or if it's used in other forms of epilepsy, such as somebody who has a generalized epilepsy syndrome or who has uh, acquired epilepsy from a brain trauma or a stroke or something like this. What we do know is that Epidiolex is now an FDA approved treatment for certain epilepsies and it is being prescribed by physicians in the US as well as in Europe and other parts of the world.
What we don't know is whether commercially available CBD products are equally safe and effective, and we don't yet know when Epidiolex may be available in Canada. Thank you for your attention. Thanks for tuning in to the Voice Epilepsy podcast. Make sure to follow us on all of our BCES and I'm a Voice for Epilepsy Awareness social media platforms. In closing, remember, you matter and you are not alone. Make Thursdays our Epilepsy Date Night with Epilepsy Voice Podcasts.